Grace to you and peace from God our Father and from our Lord and our Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. Here it is. They were marching to that final battle place. Now this really didn't look at all like an army. They, they didn't really have any uniforms or armor on. They didn't have any war horses that they were riding. They didn't have trained professional soldiers. They, they were basically kind of whoever they could find who were willing to sign up to go into the battle. But they went without a whole lot of training. They, they learned a few things from the man who was leading them, but they certainly were not good enough to win. And the leader knew that. The leader knew that they were not good enough to win, but this was an important battle for them. He had to do this. Everything led up to this moment for him. And so forth into battle he goes. Doesn't make a whole lot of sense. I mean, it doesn't seem very smart or wise. It actually sounds like kind of a pathetic excuse for someone like that to go into battle against an enemy who has had years and years of practice and training and who basically has power across the entire globe. And yet, those people marched against the British in that climax of a scene from the Patriot, a battle during the Revolutionary War in the movie. I don't know if you've ever seen The Patriot before. I don't know if you exactly know that scene, but that paragraph kind of describes it well. A scene where the militia from Virginia are going up against the British regulars, people who have trained and are professional and are very strict in their warfare. And now whether you've seen that movie or not, it really doesn't matter. Maybe that's not the first thing that came to mind. Maybe it was some other battle. Or being Palm Sunday, maybe it was Jesus marching into Jerusalem. That paragraph really, though, kind of describes both scenes pretty well. There is nothing special looking about those people marching in the battle against the British. There's nothing special looking about Jesus and the followers he had marching into Jerusalem. Jesus knew that this battle was not going to be won by his followers, but it was going to be won only by himself and his work. He was responsible for its success. But there are some very, very notable differences between these two things. First of all, biggest thing is that in our gospel today, this man going into Jerusalem is not just a mere man leading. He is a king. He is the Savior King, the Son of God. This battle was not just for the freedom of a nation. This battle was for the freedom of souls from sin, death, and the devil. This battle place was not going to be in some open field, but it was going to be on a hill outside of Jerusalem. The muskets and swords were not going to be the weapons of choice, but the weapon was going to be Jesus himself and his righteousness thrown into the face of the enemy. So your Savior is not like any other king that's walked the earth before. Jesus was a king whose power was actually found 
in his humility. He was a humble king, and in his humility we also find his righteousness, which is also our righteousness. See, the problem with the scene in Jerusalem is that kings don't enter like that, especially in the battle. You know, kings aren't followed in the battle by commoners. They're not riding donkeys, which really are nothing but beasts of burden, as you translate it from the Greek. Kings instead ride mighty steeds to battle. They're followed by soldiers who are trained to protect them. They want to show a bunch of power and prestige that they might dominate the enemy and get into their heads. So what's Jesus' deal? I mean, Jesus was the Savior King. He was the Son of God. He, he could have and he should have marched into Jerusalem with holiness just emanating from himself, with armies of angels escorting him and proclaiming him to the people around him making a show of power and royalty as has never been seen by any human eye before. But he rides in on a donkey in regular clothes, followed by regular people. Why? This donkey isn't even a, a full donkey. It's a colt. It's not even a, a full-grown or experienced beast of burden that he rides as he leads these fishermen into town. And yet, the people of Jerusalem recognized him as the king. You see, he was praised as the son of royalty. He was praised as the son of David. They blessed him who came in the name of the Lord. They recognized him as the Savior, the one that God himself had sent to save his people. They shouted, Hosanna in the highest, proclaiming that the Highest heaven and those in it should also be joining their throng as he walked in to Jerusalem to save them. They kept laying clothes and cloaks on the ground before him, an old custom that we see in the past to honor kings coming into their presence. Jesus clearly was the one who matched the Old Testament prophecy, one marching into Jerusalem on the pole, on a donkey to bring peace. But why like that? I mean, how could a king of such lowly manner deserve such praise and win peace for his people? Because if you're looking for a king to go into battle from an earthly standpoint, he really looks kind of weak and unprepared, and dare I even say pathetic. But this king was not like earthly kings. This savior king, the son of God, he was not going into battle as royalty elsewhere in the world did. You see, he didn't march on to win power and prestige and dominance or to defend his honor or his nation alone. Jesus marched on for us, for you and for me. And that battle required not a show of power and might, but it required humility and righteousness. Jesus came to dominate for you and me, but to dominate by becoming what we'd consider probably weak in the eyes of the world.
But this is Jesus' life. Jesus' whole life and mission in this world was about humility. It was never about recognition of his own self-worth and importance. It was about becoming less for you and for me. Philippians 2 shows us what he was willing to give up, what he sacrificed to be able to, as he himself says, not to be served, but to serve you and me. Philippians 2 says that he didn't consider equality with God something to be used for himself, but he found it, or but he emptied himself of it. He made himself nothing, Philippians says. He, he set aside that full use of power and glory that he had as God, and he came down as one of us. And now we see him riding into battle on a donkey. And for our sins and our mistakes, showing how seriously we needed him. And to show us how seriously he took our salvation. You know, here's the thing. Either we would have to exalt ourselves and become greater to win back our salvation, or Jesus was going to have to humble himself and become less. Take on a role that he didn't deserve. But humans have tried to exalt themselves already and it failed. We've been doing it for eons. Adam and Eve, our ancestors back in the Garden of Eden, they tried to make themselves greater as they took the fruit and ate what they were not supposed to. Instead, they brought sin into the world, and they passed that down to you and to me and every single generation that ever existed and will exist. And now we, too, try to exalt ourselves every day. You see, as we sin, it's a matter of, of pride. Sin always comes down to pride. It's me v. God. It's what I want versus what God wants. It's what I think is better versus what God knows is better. And the world and Satan work very hard at trying to convince you that what you want and what you think is best is definitely best for you. But being flawed by sin, we don't know what's best. Choose our own path and Instead, it ends up with guilt. It ends up with regrets. It ends up with pain. It ends up hurting not only ourselves, but sometimes even those around us. Sometimes even those that we care about very deeply. You know, if we could rise to the occasion and win back our eternal life with God, then we wouldn't be stuck with that hurt or sadness, or whatever sin and its effects come about because of all of it. We would have done this a long time ago. But sin keeps us from doing that. We can't beat it. We can't be good enough. The only option that we're left with is the second option, where Jesus would have to humble himself. By default, we have to side with God's plan of sending the Savior that we need, a king to humble himself for our righteousness. Humbling himself, Jesus put himself into our place. He put himself under God's will. But but it wasn't like we are trying to obey God's will. It's not like us trying to obey God's will where where we pit it against our own. Jesus' will always lined up with God's perfectly. There was no... Jesus be the Father. There was no what I want versus what you think I should do. It was always exactly what the Father wanted. We see Jesus obey the will of the Father perfectly. 
even when it was hard, even when it was difficult, even when it meant he had to humble himself, when he had to put things aside, even when it meant he was going to get hurt. Later in Holy Week, we'll see him in Gethsemane, praying that if the Father can, he take away what he's about to suffer on Friday. But when the Father says there's no other way, Jesus still goes forth willingly to the cross. You know, Jesus ride into Jerusalem on Palm Sunday. He, he did that knowing what awaits in there. He goes knowing that the Jewish religious leaders have already put an order out for his arrest. And yet he rides on. He rides into Jerusalem knowing that he's going to have to go to the cross. And that it's going to be painful. And yet he rides on. Jesus goes into Jerusalem knowing that he's going to die. Knowing that he's going to be hung on the cross and he will bow his head to death. And yet he rides on in humble submission, perfect humility to God's will. Being righteous in every single way where you and I cannot. And then his humility and his righteousness heal you of that pride separating you from God. He's humble. And in humility is his righteousness. Paul says the rest of the world, he says in 1 Corinthians, the rest of the world is going to see that as foolishness. But as Paul also writes, as he becomes sin, we become the righteousness of God. And he comes then to proclaim peace with that. Just as Zechariah said he would, he will proclaim peace to the nations, Zechariah said in chapter 9. His rule will extend from sea to sea and from the river to the ends of the earth. God approved of Jesus' righteous living for us. And in turn, he exalted Christ to the highest possible place, to the highest possible authority, ruling over all of the earth, all of the universe, in fact. He may have rode into Jerusalem on a donkey when he went into battle, but he came out on the other end a winner. He came out on the other end successful and victorious for you and coming out with authority and power so that you and I might instead of dying eternal death stand before the Father with forgiveness and relief and righteousness. There's good reason that the people of Jerusalem were shouting praises to him as he rode in. He is worthy of all praise. We say it in our liturgy in the common service, we say his name is worthy praise. And nothing could be more worthy of shouts from his people. The shouts of Hosanna, blessed is the, or Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. You know, he lived that righteous life that we might be right with God, and he deserves hosannas in everything that we do. He deserves hosannas from our lips in every prayer. He deserves hosannas in every deed that we do before the Father, before the rest of the world. He deserves hosannas in both good times and in bad. Now certainly there is no comparison between the patriot and our Savior Jesus Christ. There is not. 
But there is this. In the Patriots, eventually the militia, they get the last laugh. The, the British lose. They lose that battle as the militia fall back and drop down so that the regulars, the trained professional armies and soldiers, can defend them. Now we too, those who have seen their salvation in their humble and righteous king, we too shall be the last ones standing. Because Jesus won. But he didn't need help. He didn't fall back on anyone. Jesus actually dominated in his humility. He rode into Jerusalem humble and on a donkey, but now he reigns in power and he'll return in power for all the world to see. One day, everyone will have to acknowledge Jesus Christ as king, even those who would refuse to see him as a king in his humility in this life. And on that day, you and I will sing hosannas with all of the saints in heaven who had marveled at his humility and his righteousness. So today, see your king coming to you gentle or humble and riding on a donkey. We sing with the songwriter, right on, right on in majesty, in lowly pomp, right on to die. But we do so joyfully, knowing that his humility is majesty, knowing that his humility is righteousness, and knowing that his humility is our majesty and our righteousness. Amen.